please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13-1114 and Beyond Blue on 1300 Hi everyone, welcome back to Psycho Cinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in movies and TV. Before we start, a short disclaimer. While I am a practicing psychologist, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener, nor the characters we are talking about. I'm not representative of all psychologists, and my opinion is just that one opinion. Also, while I do have a little bit of lived experience of anxiety and depression, for the most part, I'm only commenting on my understanding of illnesses, symptoms, and disabilities based on what I've learned and read. Myself and my co-hosts in no way feel we have the final say on any character portrayal. We may get it wrong, and I invite you to let us know if we do. It's my intention to start discussions with this podcast and for it to evolve over time. So please give us any feedback you have. And now on with the show. I have with me my wonderful, esteemed co-host, Michael. Hi, everybody. And we're recording from sunny Phillip Island tonight. That's right. And before we get started with our next film, I have a few updates I thought we should just share, maybe as a regular thing. I have been listening to the podcast Just the Gist with Rosie Waterland and Jacob Stanley, and I'm a bit of a Rosie Waterland fan from way back. And they just last week released a podcast episode on the ice pick lobotomy, which we covered (laughs) from the cuckoo's nest. So I got very excited about that, and she commented on my post. Oh, Oh my my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So if you haven't already listened to Just the Gist, listen to that episode. There's also an amazing podcast, my new favourite one at the moment, called Why Are Dads? And it's been created by Sarah Marshall, who is part of You're Wrong About, which is also a favourite podcast of mine. And it looks at, like, daddy issue things in movies, like fatherhood specifically, and it does an exceptional job. And they just did one on the Royal Tenenbaums, which is like my favourite movie of all time. So go listen to that, everyone. And then we will do it eventually as well. Oh, and also you shared an article with me yesterday. Mm. Do you want to share what that was about? It was about how Sia, the singer, is releasing a movie which is about an autistic person. Person with autism. Sorry, yes. (laughs) And it's being played by someone who is not a person with autism. Maddie Ziegler, who is in Dance Moms. Okay, right. (laughs) You just don't understand that part of media, (laughs) 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 reality TV. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a Rain Man type controversy. In 2020. Yeah. Mm. What does Dustin Hoffman have to say? Anyway, everyone's everyone's very angry about it. Yeah. And Sia's very much... Being a bit defensive. She's angry about it too, but angry at the people being angry at her. Yes, she's doubling down. She's not very apologetic. In the article you sent me, it sounds like the person with autism in the movie is modelled off a friend of hers with autism who didn't want to act in the film. Yes. But actors with autism have come out and said, well, I was available. Mm. Just because your friend couldn't do it doesn't mean, oh, well, I tried. 
To which Sia replied, maybe you're just not a good actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just bitter and cutting and yeah. obviously Sia's just not having a good time. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully she swings from the chandelier <laughs> to a better opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a shame because Sia has had a lot of battles with mental health and addiction in her life, so you and would... She- yeah, she has. She has Graves' disease. That's true too. She would probably want someone with actually Graves' disease to play someone with Graves' disease in a movie. Do you think? It's not the same thing. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, just a real shame that someone's taken that criticism so badly. So the movie we are focusing on today is one of my favourite movies of all time. It's... Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. I know. I know. <laughs> so Donnie Darko was released in 2001 by Richard Kelly and it was his first feature-length film and it was produced by Drew Barrymore's company Flower Films. Michael, what's your experience with Donnie Darko? I think maybe similar to everybody in our age range where mm. I first watched it when I was a teenager and I was very, very angsty, melancholic teenager, mm-hmm. and it just felt like it just got me, and <laughs> I was Donnie Darko, and I was the centre of the universe, and everything was tragic and unfair and all that. It was, like, perfect for that time and that, that angsty period of your life, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And even though, yeah, like, the soundtrack and... But I guess I rewatched it for the first time in, you know, years and years last year or the year before, and I found it really funny. Like, I really enjoyed watching it as an 80s teen film, which, like, uses all those those tropes. Mm, but it's not, like, a John Hughes movie. No, it's kind of... It's something much weirder dressed up like a John Hughes yeah, film. Yeah, mm. it's true, isn't it? I think that's what made it so popular, too. You go in, like... Looking at the poster, the movie poster, you think it's a, it's going to be a horror movie. Mm. And then it starts and you're like, oh, it's like a teen drama. Mm. But it's like neither of those things. No. Mm. It's probably successful because it's got something for everybody in it. Like it's got, yeah, the John Hughes stuff, but it's also got, I mean, the reading that I've done about this movie <laughs> now that I've sort of turned a more critical eye to it, like it's crazy what people have written about this book. Uh, this movie, rather. Yeah, it's really... The ph- philosophical... The it's crazy. <laughs> the cult of Johnny Darko. Yeah. I think one of the articles Probably. is actually called that. <laughs> it's interesting because it was Richard Kelly's masterpiece. So it flopped at the cinemas and then the DVD release came out and that just took off. Like it made all its money in DVD. And DVD at the time was... Huge. Huge. So it was, like, well-timed for that reason. But then he released a director's cut, so it was re-released in cinema, and it did quite well in that form. Did you watch the director's cut? I did, and I'm ashamed to say that when I was a teenager I liked it better because I was on on board with (laughs) it. We may need to consider divorce. (laughs) (laughs) I I liked at the time the time travel story and I liked that it just forced textbook like the images this is of, what's happening yeah, guys the images from the philosophy of time travel that just says what's happening 
I really liked that. It just explained it, spoon-fed it for me. You liked that at the time. I did, yeah. But now, like, and everything (laughs) I've read when we've been researching this has been, like, the director's cut just ruined everything. And I totally agree. And we're just going to be talking about the original release. Yes, because... We might touch on the director's cut stuff every now and then. Well, you know, the other important part of Donnie Darko's fandom and cultness, there was the, the website that was created to go with it. And it had the bits in the director's cut that you didn't see in the original version. So it had the philosophy of time travel book in it. Did you ever access the website? I went on it, but I didn't have the patience to go very far. You can you can actually still access it now, but it will um, disappear on like the, at the end of this year because Flash will no longer exist. Oh. And it runs on Flash. In 26 days. Six hours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> The world of Donnie Darko will end (laughs) because of Flash. But, yeah, go and check it out, audience, um, while you can because you won't be able to ever again. Just Google it. A Redditor has, like, preserved it in its original form. But I remember I accessed it a lot. Yeah. But I only got to a certain point and then it, like, messed up for me. Did did it – was it like a game? Did it involve skill or do you just need to, like – click around randomly till you get to the next level or whatever. Pretty much that, yeah, yeah. and you had to remember passwords. Right. But it was it was a very good marketing tool in itself for the movie. Like, Well, a lot of what I've read about it <clears throat> actually is talking about both the film and the website. Yeah, as, um, like companions. a companion piece. Well, yeah. Like. But then, see, they didn't need to do the director's cut because it just, like, combined them both together and it mm. was... Anyway, anyway, we'll stop talking about that. <laughs> oh, interestingly too, and I guess an, a thing that is why I loved Donnie Darko so much, I had a massive crush on Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I still do, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is Donnie Darko is going to be played by um, Jason Schwartzman, who I also have a massive crush on. Wow. I have a type. <laughs> you, have, you like men with crowded faces. <laughs> what does that say about you? I must have a crowded face. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, I I was always all for moody teenage boys at the time who, you know, had some sort of secret behind them. So mm. it was very much up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start with the plot of Donnie Darko, which we'll try to summarise without going too deeply into the website stuff? Yeah, so Donnie, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is a teenager who lives um, in the suburbs in Middlesex, Virginia, in 1988 during the election between Michael Dukakis and George Bush Sr. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives with his sisters and his mum and dad. And one of his sisters played by his real-life sister. His real-life sister. Imagine <laughs> that. Oh. It's clear from the opening scene that Donnie has issues we know there's a backstory of him being aggressive in the past and having been to jail. And yeah, the opening scene, he's woken up in a place. He has no, a random, on the middle of the road on a mountain. He has no yeah. idea how he's gotten there. Um, and Killing Moon starts. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, he's in therapy. We know he takes some unspecified medication. Um, and we also find out that he has ceased his own medication. So one night he's visited by Frank, the six-foot-tall bunny who guides him out of his bedroom just in time for a jet engine to smash through his roof onto his bed. Uh, And Frank tells Donnie that the world is going to end in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 42 minutes minutes and 12 12 seconds. 
Um, And then sort of the series of events takes place, which is guided by Frank, um, and Donnie comes to believe that they're not hallucinations but that he's actually sort of a chosen one who's going to stop the end of the world. So as an example, during a hallucination, Donnie floods the school um, and then he wakes up the following day to find the school has been flooded and this in turn leads him to meeting Gretchen, the new girl at school, who becomes his girlfriend. love, muse, girlfriend. She goes with him. She goes with him, yeah. Another good example is that he burns down the house of the the film's villain, the self-help guru, Jim Cunningham, who is outed as a leader of a child pornography ring because of the fire, opening up a secret room. Yeah. Donnie also discovers one of the elderly residents of the town, Roberta Sparrow, wrote a book called The Philosophy of Time Travel, which explains all the things that has been have been happening to him. He starts to believe that his hallucinations show him the future through portals, which leads him to find his parents' gun. When Donnie's mum and sister go out of town for a dance competition, which also happens because of the fire at Jim Cunningham's house, Donnie and Maggie throw a party which is close to the time when the world's going to end. And Donnie has another hallucination, which leads to the climax of the film. He takes Gretchen to Roberta Sparrow's house, where the school bullies, intense bullies with switch knives and shit. Hell, And butcher's knives, yeah. That, the bullies attack them, throwing Gretchen out of the road, where she's hit by a car. And the person who gets out of the car is... <gasps> Frank, in human form, not not in Donnie's head, and Donnie shoots him dead on the spot. Donnie then sees a black hole forming over the neighbourhood and we see the plane that Donnie's mum and sister are in sort of flying through the, the black hole um, and starting to crash like in Fight Club. Donnie somehow goes back in time to when the, first, the crash first happened and rather than leaving his room, he stays in his bed just as the engine falls on him. As he, he laughs maniacally, hysterically. <laughs> and we're given to believe that him, um, you know, choosing to be killed by the jet engine is saving, you know, Gretchen, his parents and everybody. So he's yeah. it's sacrificing himself for yeah. the greater good. Totally. And I guess to just also add what we talk about when we mentioned the website it tells us all the information in that philosophy of time travel book, which kind of explains in this concept what has happened. So when Donnie left his room the first time, a tangent universe was created and that universe is quite unstable and short-term and needs to be ended or it can create a black hole and, and destroy the universe, I guess, or destroy itself. And that was created by what is called the artifact, which was the jet engine. So Donnie is what's called a living receiver, and his role is to guide the artifact back into its position for its journey back to the primary universe, which is what happened before the jet engine crash. That's the primary universe. And the living receiver is supposed to have fourth-dimensional powers, increased strength, mind control, telekinesis, and the ability to conjure fire and water, which he doesn't do in the film, so whatever. No, he does. He burns down Jim Cunningham's house and he floods the school. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, I did not think of that. <laughs> but, I mean, he doesn't, like, conjure it. It's just there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the living receiver is supposed to be tormented by terrifying dreams, visions, and auditory hallucinations during this time. 
all the other people around Donnie are supposed to be the manipulated and then there's the manipulated living who are his close friends and neighbors who are trying to stop Donnie because they want to save themselves from oblivion and then Frank is what's called the manipulated dead. Gretchen is also a manipulated dead but you don't see her in the movie as a dead person but you do see Frank as a dead person and he is more powerful than Donnie and he helps Donnie to do what he needs to do um, because apparently if a person dies within the tangent universe they can contact Donnie through his ghost sort of form. Right. So, (laughs) (laughs) this is kind of the problem with the director's help. (laughs) So, yeah, we don't, like, I feel like the movie stands up on its own without knowing all this stuff that I just said. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, what I was reading was there's, like, a lot of psychoanalysis of the movie and philosophy and all that. Mm. And to be just told by Richard Kelly, no, 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 this is actually, this is the correct interpretation. And it's batshit crazy. Like, it just sort of undercuts the enjoyment you get out of the sort of ambiguities of the movie. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously a bit of a genius for creating this amazing movie, but if you have, if you've seen anything else he's done, (laughs) maybe it was short lived genius. All right. Before we say too much, let's start with our first criteria. Was the movie played or created by anyone with lived experience of mental illness or disability? From my reading, it doesn't seem like Richard Kelly had any first-hand experience no. himself or anyone And I guess, else. as you say, he really wants you to think about this movie in terms of time travel. Mm. But Donnie Darko is described by his therapist as exhibiting signs of paranoid schizophrenia. And it sounds like he's been treated for a while. So, yeah, I, I didn't come across anything that suggested that Richard Kelly had knew anything about schizophrenia or had done any research or had any experience. Yeah. I also came across a, <laughs> a quote from him um, in one of his interviews that said, this is what he said, there's all this talk of ADHD, but kids are lazy and I've always been lazy. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not sure if his understanding of, of mental illness and disability is, is great. Yeah. With, for that reason. It seems like he's probably just using the psychosis as a plot device rather than a... It's not that he... He doesn't care that Donnie Darko's schizophrenic. No, that's not it, the point. Yeah. But it's also a... It's it's a good plot device because you question, is this all in his head? Because he has... He's prone to uh, hallucinations or and delusions or is it actually what is happening? Mm. So, you know, I think he... He had to have something like that for the movie to be as good as it is, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I did find out that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a pretty good activist with political and social causes, so, like, getting people to vote and stuff, but he's also very, maybe because of Jarhead or other movies he's been in, he's really um, interested in the mental health of war vets (laughs) and, like, he supports the NGO called Headstrong, which does that. But, I mean, he was pretty young at the time. This has all happened after that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably not really relevant. It's not really lived experience, Jake. Yeah. Also, Gina Malone has been very open with her struggle with postpartum depression. Okay. But also something that happened way after the movie. And didn't doesn't Drew Barrymore? Yes. There's some 
There's some stuff, yes. <laughs> There's some backstory and some rumours, perhaps. Yeah, I did read that people think that she has bipolar disorder, but I don't think she's ever said that. Right. But I'm sure her lived experience with traumatic experiences in her childhood and, and some abandonment right. um, may, may, you know, help her to... Maybe that's what brought her attention to Donnie Duck of a troubled teen because she was also a troubled teen. Yeah. A troubled child. Yeah, maybe she picked up on the mental health themes and that's why she chose to yeah. give it to the world. To give it life. Did. But let's look at how accurate the portrayal of mental illness is. I want to just preface this by saying I think we should focus on the diagnosis that is mentioned on the film because that makes sense. Mm. Um, but it's interesting it's, you know, different people's takes that make you look at it through a different lens, I guess. And there's another podcast, here's my, my fourth recommendation, um, called Show Me the Meaning, and it just looks at the meanings behind films. And their take on it is it's a way of highlighting all the anxiety and tension around that election year, mm. I think because it was post-Reagan. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the end of Reaganism. Yeah, and, like, what does what's coming next and we have the end of the 80s boom, I guess. I don't mm. know. But I don't really understand all that stuff. Yeah. Here. So we'll, I, I don't know. Stuff that I read is, is that um, there's lots of possibly false dichotomies set up in the movie where it's like left wing versus right wing. Oh. Fear and love. Yeah. Real. Imaginary. Hallucination. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things. That's true. Oh, my God. There's just so much to talk it's about. such a rich text. Rich text. <laughs> But yeah, let's let's just focus in, in the interest of saving time. Let's focus on well, schizophrenia, namely paranoid schizophrenia, as he was um, written. Um, and thinking about it as this is nineteen eighty eight, but it was also written in two thousand. Well, it was created in two thousand and one. Who knows when Richard Kelly wrote it? Maybe he was five at the time. He's a genius. <laughs> so, do you want to start with like what is schizophrenia? Just from your experience in psychiatric units and stuff. Sure. Um, well, it's a really hard question and <laughs> lots of people have, um, yes, sort of thrown their hats into the ring trying to figure out what it is. But I guess from a purely clinical, not philosophical, psychoanalytic point of, point of view, um, it's a mental illness characterised by, I guess, unusual cognitive and sensory experiences mm -hmm. which you'd call the positive symptoms things like hallucinations auditory visual hallucinations delusions that you have powers that you're being followed um, those sorts of things and yeah the negative symptoms which are like an absence of something quote unquote normal which is you know inability to look after yourself like clean and shower and whatever yourself mm -hmm. Um, and just general disorganisation. And so positive symptoms are something that's added. Yeah. And negative symptoms are something that's, like, Yeah, diminished. well, I guess if, like, zero is normal, then positive is an addition, an unusual occurrence, a hallucination yeah. or whatever, and negative is a subtraction from normal, normal being, yeah, I, I don't leave my room anymore sort of thing. That's yeah, sort of thing. okay. So it's not, like, good and bad. No. <laughs> yeah. Would you say the main sort of caveat for it is, like, the person's understanding what's real and what's not can be shifted yeah. or unstable? Yeah. Okay. I pay that. 
I've got a little bit of history Please. and facts. Uh, stats, if you'd like. So schizophrenia was first described by Dr. Kraepelin. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say it. In the late 1800s, who separated it from to psychosis as a symptom of like mood disorders. And he called it dementia precox, which translates as young people dementia, which is um, an incorrect assumption that it only occurs with young people. That's not correct. Um, but there is some history that it some sort of illnesses resembling schizophrenia was found back in like 1500 BC. So it's been around for a while, um, but the actual term schizophrenia turned up in 1910 by a Swiss psychiatrist called Bleuler. Um, and he derived it from the word schizo meaning split and friend meaning mind. So a lot of people assume that schizophrenia equals split personality, which is a completely different disorder. So that name kind of led to that misinterpretation, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I found out that about one in 100 people will experience schizophrenia, which is more than I thought actually. Because you always think, think of it as quite rare, and mm. it is rare, but that's still a lot of people. I yeah, no, they always refer to it as one percent of the population, and that's a really fixed. Um, that's interesting proportion, yeah, mm. like across cultures and stuff. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, I did read that it's more diagnosed in city sort of areas. Okay, like metropolitan areas than. Mm rural areas which is also interesting there's yeah there's lots of weird stuff about like if your dad's old (laughs) you're more likely to have schizophrenia if you're born in a certain season i think it's spring you're more likely to have it or maybe less likely to have true facts well it's like correlation causation type stuff yeah there's probably other reasons Mm. um it is diagnosed twice as often in men than women um which is interesting um, but And their symptoms usually sort of emerge between the late teens and mid-30s. And there's some kind of sad stats about the prognosis as well. Apparently 25% of people who experience an episode of schizophrenia will fully recover and be fine for the rest of their lifetime. The other 25% will be substantially improved on medication. And then another 25% will be somewhat improved but will suffer from significant residual symptoms. 15% will lead a chronic course involving lots of admissions to hospital for the remainder of their life. And then the last 10%, unfortunately, statistically often die by suicide within 10 years of the diagnosis, apparently. So that's really tragic. Mm. It's It sounds like it's a pretty brutal thing to experience. Yeah. No, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So the movie was released in 2001, so I've used the DSM-IVTR, which was released in 1994, looking at the symptoms. Sure. And the criteria hasn't really changed much since then. The only thing is back then there was off a different subtype of schizophrenia. There was four different subtypes and paranoid schizophrenia was one of them, but now that's been taken out and you're only diagnosed someone with schizophrenia and they might have paranoid um, symptoms more than other people, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. DSM's been slowly getting rid of all of the sort of arbitrary subtypes yeah. of things that they had back in the day. Because there's some that I was like, I don't even know if that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but also originally you only needed one of the, the um, characteristic symptoms to qualify and now you need two. 
That's okay. the other thing. So the criteria for schizophrenia, and let's look at whether we think Donnie has these criteria. Mm-hmm. Firstly, delusions, which are described as firmly held beliefs which are not based in reality. So, for example, they give this example in the DSM, the belief that aliens have removed one's brain and replaced it with an alien brain. So, what do you think? Does Donnie meet this criteria? Yeah, well... Doesn't have that belief, but... No, but he's definitely got delusions. Yes. If we play the role of a psychologist talking to Donnie... If we are Dr. Thurman... Yeah, then yes, he's got delusions. Yes, that's that's the role we're playing. <laughs> yeah, the, the world's going to end. Um, he's the one who has the power to stop it. He can control time travel. Yeah. Things like that. Um, yeah, that could definitely be considered delusions. Yeah. The... Next one is hallucinations, which are usually voices or they can also be visual hallucinations. I think this one's pretty, like I use the word hallucination when I describe the plot. Yeah, Yeah. definitely auditory and visual, like auditory hearing Frank's voice, visual seeing Frank the bunny walking around, seeing portals opening up, seeing the little jelly noodly things coming out (laughs) of people's chests. It's interesting they mostly happen when there wasn't a lot of other stuff going on too, which I think is probably, I don't, I don't know if that's common in schizophrenia, but it also made you wonder, is this real or is it in his head? Yeah. And, yeah, the voice often in, with schizophrenia, the voice in your head tells you to do stuff, mm. and that's pretty much what happens. Yeah, command hallucinations. There you go. Technical terms. So on those two criteria alone, he meets the criteria, basically. Yeah. But the other criteria is disorganised speech, so frequent derailment or incoherence of speech. I didn't think he met this. No. Like, he's a mumbler. He's a mumbler. (laughs) But also... (laughs) Regret! But, like, he's just being a teenager as well. Yeah. How much of that is just normal boys? Yeah. Um... Yeah, it probably doesn't meet that one. Grossly disorganised or catatonic behaviour. Can you describe to me what catatonic behaviour is? I've never seen it before, personally. I've seen, like, old videos of it at uni. It's just when people just don't move or they freeze in unusual positions. Mm-hmm. So they'll freeze in, a in like, with their back sort of bent over in a... It, like oh. looks excruciating sort of thing, oh. and they can't be moved. Oh god! Um, yeah, those those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. He not doesn't going. have that. No, I don't think he has particularly disorganized behavior. Although you might think that, like he, he says, he, he went to jail for burning down an abandoned house and stuff. Mm. You might consider that disorganized behavior. I always see disorganization as like. People who show up to the clinic in summer when it's 40 degrees wearing jumpers and stuff. Okay. Or, like, just wearing, yeah, bizarre clothes. Um, Doing stuff I that find, doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, like, speech is what I, I guess they've got speech as a separate thing, but just that jumble, like, word salad or, um, yeah, derailment where they're talking about one thing and then all of a sudden they're talking about something completely different yeah. with no link. Yeah. Um, so tangential or they're really tangential. Speech. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't really meet that criteria, I don't think. Yeah, I think the stuff about going to jail and, and, you know, being he sort of runs with a bit of a shitty crowd and stuff, like I think that might be considered more social occupational. Okay. Which we'll We'll get get to in a tick. 
And then the, the last criteria is negative symptoms, as you were describing. So flattened affect, uh, poverty of speech or lack of motivation. Um, I definitely think he has flat affect. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's pretty lit. And just the way his mum is sort of baffled by how he's acting and how, and sort of comments a lot about how it's very different from how he used to be. Yeah. Um, that, that what sort happened of, to my son? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could quote this. <laughs> but um, I think you'd struggle to separate that from just adolescence as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Also, like, lack of motivation. Um, like, he's – I don't I don't see that a lot as well, even though, like, he's, he's pretty, like – like he doesn't go to like the concert for his sister and stuff, which I thought was a bit weird. Um, like, but also like apparently he has amazing grades. Yeah. So he must work pretty hard at school or just not need to work hard. He's I don't smart. sense that he works hard at school. But his grades are intimidating. <laughs> and yeah, definitely no lack of motivation given the fact that he's working pretty hard to save the world. Yeah, true, true, true. Again, it looks it depends on the lens you look at it. Yeah. Okay, so that's the A criteria, uh, so all those symptoms. And B criteria is social or occupational dysfunction. So for a significant portion of the time since the onset of the schizophrenic symptoms, one or more major areas of functioning such as work, interpersonal relations or self-care are below the level achieved before the onset. So that's deteriorated. Um, So as I said, he's doing fairly well at school so maybe can't say that also he like he manages to have a relationship with a girl he seems to have friends but it does also sound like his family life is impacted Mm. in terms of relationships Uh, yeah no I see I see all those points as you know against him meeting these criteria but I think that he overwhelmingly would from a psychiatrist point of view meet this I would say they would see him as very dysfunctional in that, you know, he hangs around drinking and smoking with his mates, shooting an air rifle or whatever. Uh, Isn't that just a teenager in America? (laughs) Yeah. He ends up having a knife put up to his neck in the bathroom at school. Like, even though he didn't necessarily do anything, like, I think a psychiatrist would be like, what's happening to land you in this situation? Yeah. Blaming the victim. Yeah, he swears at a teacher. I guess also when you think about how much his his sleep must be impacted, like, yeah. but I don't know if that actually fits this no, area. Probably not. I don't, I don't, sleepwalking, I don't know. Yeah, is sleepwalking even a thing? I guess it's in schizophrenia. No, no, I no? don't think so. It's just a thing that he yeah. has. Um, I, I would, I would think that a psychiatrist would say, "Oh, Donnie, you know, like, just do the fear and love exercise." the way that you've approached that exercise tells me you're dysfunctional. Don't swear at teachers, all that stuff. We'll get but into why yeah, that's like, a problem, though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very much something the film is talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'll move on before we get to that. The last criteria C is the just the duration. Oh, not the last, but um, the duration of the episode needs to be persisting for at least six months. And that six-month period must include at least one month of the symptoms that we described mm-hmm. earlier. It sounds like, like, we don't know, but it sounds like he's had a pretty long timeline of treatment. Like, he has a pretty open relationship with his therapist. It sounds like he's they've seen each other for a while. He's mm-hmm. been on medication for a while. 
and he was jailed a while ago. So I'm, we're assuming that the treatment's happened since that time at least. Yeah. So he probably would need that. I would think that he's, yeah, because he's, they didn't, he moves to a new school after burning down the house, doesn't yeah. he? And he's established a friendship group and stuff. True, true. It um, sounds like the family's been at that place for a while. Though, yeah, so. yeah. So I, I, we don't really know, but I reckon, yes, he, mm. may, he meets that criteria. Yeah. And just the D, E, and F is just that it doesn't meet any other sort of diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and it's just to a note as well, uh, schizophrenia is different disorder from schizoaffective disorder, and I won't go into that. It's just a different disorder. No one knows. <laughs> they look similar, though. So as I said, there used to be different subtypes of schizophrenia. I'll just go through. There was paranoid type disorganized type, catatonic type, undifferentiated type, and residual. That's a lot. But let's just quickly focus on paranoid schizophrenia because that is specifically what Dr. Thurman says. And really, it's just that the auditory hallucinations um, are prominent and quite frequent, and he can be preoccupied with at least one delusion as well. Definitely fits that criteria. And... A couple of other symptoms are not prominent, so not that disorganised behaviour or catatonic behaviour um, and not having that disorganised speech either. So that kind of, like, reinforces what we already said, that he doesn't really show those other symptoms. So, yeah, like, according to the DSM-4 in the 90s, yeah, he meets the criteria for paranoid schizophrenia, Definitely. which we don't regard as a separate thing nowadays. No. But at the time, he would have. Yeah, cool. I think. And it's interesting that it goes on to talk about what's common in paranoid schizophrenia. The delusions often involve the belief that they are the victim or a target of persecution. They may believe someone is spying on them or plotting to do them harm. Or the delusion could be grandiose in nature. For example, a belief that they have superpowers or are on a mission to save the world. <gasps> like Donnie Darko. Like Donnie Darko. And auditory solutions are usually telling them to do something, telling them they're in danger, and most of the time the hallucinations are related to those delusional beliefs. So, you know, it's actually, to me, when you link that all together, this could totally be a movie about schizophrenia. Yeah. But according to Richard Kelly, it ain't. (laughs) Yeah, it's about time travel, guys. (laughs) When, when we actually watch the movie and how, like, yes, he meets the criteria, but how does it sort of portray it as a normie? Because we're normies here. We don't have schizophrenia. I'm not saying normie is a good thing. Um, generally, how accurate do you find the portrayal to be? Like, neither of us have schizophrenia or know what it's like. But if, but from our perspective, what do we think, how well do we think the movie depicts what could be delusions and hallucinations, etc.? Yeah, it does a very good job of depicting that, um, the distress and the destruction of your life that you often see in people who are having psychosis. And psychosis being those delusions. Yeah, the, the um, positive symptoms, the, positive the hallucinations, symptoms. delusions and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we get a really good sense of um, how much havoc it's wreaking on Donnie's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, yeah, accurate. That's, yeah, it's, an, it's sort of accurate portrayal of that to me when it starts to get a little bit dicey i guess is like the auditory hallucinations from my understanding like his experience of them is is pretty accurate i would think that they'd be more constant 
I, I, I would have thought, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and I feel like they're, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think I have read that they can be more constant during periods of stress and anxiety too, okay. like particular times. I could be wrong though. Yeah, that would um, make sense. The wheels fall off a little bit with the visual hallucinations just from my own study. I think those really vivid, detailed hallucinations are quite rare, as in in any condition. Mm. Um, there's certain types of dementia, which one of the hallmarks is really vivid halluc- visual hallucinations, but it's not common in schizophrenia. They tend to be sort of poorly defined mm-hmm. types of things. Um, but that's not to say that it's impossible, um, and I'm mm-hmm. sure there's plenty of people out there who have vivid visual hallucinations. Well, I did read in a publication called The Mighty um, that one of their community members who lives with schizophrenia thought that Donnie Ducker did a pretty good job in mimicking what it can be like to experience those symptoms of mental illness. And she quoted, I just felt such a complete feeling with this movie, the imaginary friend, which was really something else in the end. It's all twisted and I love it because that's how I feel with my schizophrenia, the feelings, the hallucinations, everything. Um, so I thought that was good to, to note that someone who has experienced it feels like that's pretty accurate for Mm -hmm. them. And I guess also just the experience of Donnie and people not like taking him seriously and being confused and frustrated with him, not knowing what's going on for him. Yeah. I feel like it does do a really good job of that. I also wonder too. The way that the film is actually filmed, the way the mm. film was filmed, um, like the slow-mo scenes um, going through when we meet his family and then we meet this, everyone at the school, how it sort of goes really slow and then it speeds up. Mm. Um, maybe that's a little bit of what it's like having some cognitive symptoms where you're not sure, you're, you're not always really in touch with reality or your know, imagination Kind of like your mind drifts off and you go yeah. into slow-mo watching your dad leaf blower your sister and then you're like, oh, wait, no, I'm riding my bike. I need to quickly catch <laughs> back up to the moment. Maybe, yeah, and just, you know, a disorganised mind and mm. a mind that, that goes different paces, perhaps. I mean, yeah, from a film perspective, like, it looks really cool and it kind of gives you an insight into the character's mind space. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of a light touch, like often those sorts of in-camera effects. Actually, like in Ratchet, every now and then the lights, like the film just turned red or green, like to show what the character's... It's just being a wanker. (laughs) It's real tacky and it doesn't work, but in this case it it does work. Yeah. You know, you see him sort of distressed at times, like when he's in the bathroom and he's got the knife and he... And you can see Frank and he, it's almost like he's trying to, to stop the delusion or get him. Mm. And you can see how Jack Gyllenhaal's just a really good actor. <laughs> <laughs> you can see him getting quite frustrated himself with it. Like, mm. he, I feel like you can feel that distress a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I will just jump in. It, yeah, it's, it is very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not stupid. It's no. not. It's not like ratchet. For, oh, sorry, that's just going to be my like <laughs> touchstone of a bad handling of mental illness from now oh, on. Well, I'm sure we'll get to another one too. <laughs> yeah, but it's like even though it's fantastic and it's got time travel and it's super over the top, I don't think you'd. I, I'm I'm going to be blatant and 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 in a 
inappropriate and put myself into the shoes of somebody with schizophrenia. I don't think if I had schizophrenia, I'd watch that movie and go, oh, that's so offensive. I, I did also read some of the like cognitive biases that someone experiencing psychosis can have. And one of them was like that self-fulfilling prophecy or that, um, that paranoid confirmation bias that things are happening because of a certain reason when they're actually just random. Right. And there yeah. might actually be another word for that. I think I did come across it. The illusory correlation. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you for <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> um, like, you know, it's if it is all happening in its mind, all those events happened, but he thinks they're all connected. Like, he did that. He fled to the school to meet Gretchen, who needed to die in order for him to kill Frank, who becomes his saviour, mm. the um, bunny rabbit. But that could also just be not linked in, and just coincidental. So when you're really – one of those biases is, is when you're more focused on those things happening and you're focusing on every everything on a lens that it's all because of this reason, yeah, it becomes – it perceives as a relationship when there isn't one yeah. between those variables. Um, and also, like, that self-fulfilling prophecy, he, his world does end because he dies and maybe that's – the case for people with schizophrenia who has this belief that they're going to die or that the world is going to end or um, they need to save a life and sacrifice themselves and then they sadly suicide and sort of their prophecy being fulfilled Mm. but it's of their own volition yeah so it kind of if you look at it from that lens it can it sort of can be explained by one of those psychological processes which are common yeah. In psychosis. But Gretchen and his mum wave at each other at the end, so that's incorrect. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's real. <laughs> I want to talk about the treatment as well and how that is portrayed. Do you know much about the history of treatment for schizophrenia? Apart from what we just covered in Ratchet? <laughs> Uh, I don't know a, a great deal, um, I, but I can only assume it's not good. Well, I'm thinking I've like read bedlam, some stuff. people chained up to the walls and being sprayed with icy cold. Well, water yeah, there's that. Also, I found out that the Nazis tried to eradicate it during Hitler's reign, basically murdering people if they were assessed to have schizophrenia. Right. So they tried to eugenic it out, which is pretty goddamn awful. I mean,. They're the Nazis. What do you expect? <laughs> what do you expect from those Nazis? Um, yeah, and also it's not going to happen because it's a fixed 1% proportion. Not yeah. fixed, but you can't. We don't know if it's genetic. I There's a genetic it. contribution, but it's but not. But that's not it. Yeah. It's obviously extremely stigmatised. Yeah. And then, you know, after the cuckoo's nest treatment of people with, with schizophrenia, which would would have been basically just using things like electroshock therapy and lobotomies, particularly with people with schizophrenia who exhibit lots of behaviours. Then clopromazine, clopromazine, say it. Clopromazine? Clopromazine was invented as a, as a treatment for schizophrenia, which worked really well, but it was very sedating. So basically, yeah, had a pretty significant side effect of that. Well, that was probably what they wanted. Yeah. Um, So, but these days treatment involves antipsychotics therapy, which is mostly CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy for 
for psychosis, also other talk therapies, and neurostimulation, which is um, things like electroshock, electroconvulsive therapy, which is still used in very rare cases, as we've already discussed, and repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, RTMS. Do you know what that is? Uh it's 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 sort of a new thing that there's not a huge amount of evidence for yet to I my guess. understanding but i would say the mainstays of treatment now would be antipsychotics and ECT yeah so he definitely has medications we don't know what they are mm. in the movie um and it's interesting he stops taking them because when the movie starts his sister says you've stopped taking your medication <laughs> <laughs> here i am <laughs> Um, but then he starts taking them again that first night when the hallucinations start with Frank. Mm. Um, so is that is that the movie trying to say that, like, it's not all in his head, like, because he's medicated? Yeah, I think I think the movie is is always trying to make ask the question of you know, is it actually real? And I think Richard Kelly, like, given that quote that you mentioned about ADHD, mm. is really just kids being lazy. Um, I suspect that he's the kind of person who is very anti-medication and is probably yeah. like, oh, we're just putting our kids on meds and to make them, them automatons. And, yeah, yeah. So, Also, in the director's card, mm. the therapist says the, the medication that he's on are placebos. Yeah. <laughs> Which changes Which, a lot of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess basically it's saying that Richard Kelly never thought that the medications were a factor. Yeah. Um, and then that's just thrown in there to be like, just in case you weren't sure, <laughs> then they're placebos, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I'm sorry. I know it's a movie, but what therapist just gives their patient placebos? No. Unless you're in a trial for something. Yeah. That's and weird. It, it, yeah, no, it's, that, it's not ethical behaviour at all. And even if you're on a trial... Most like, like if it was a good like randomized controlled blinded trial, the therapist wouldn't know whether they were giving you a placebo or not. No, anyway, otherwise, so yeah. I think this is. I think we need to look at the medications as being put into the film by somebody who who doesn't understand them or is just using them as a device. And I think the fact that you don't know what medications he's taking, like Richard Kelly, didn't even bother to Google antipsychotic <laughs> common and just chuck. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also maybe this is just an American thing, but I find that that's really true of movies where the drugs come in in a little orange cylinder yes. and people just chew them like candy. Like that's, yeah. that's always telling you that's what they're going for. But that was the eighties too. Maybe that's what they used to do. I but surely the had... in America just comes in those bottles no matter really? what. But surely they have Webster packs. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on. He does have hypnosis as a treatment too. And I googled hypnosis for psychosis. Oh, that rhymes. And I did find that sane.org, which is the Australian organization um, for schizophrenia, um, doesn't mention hypnosis as a common treatment. And it's generally suggested not to use hypnosis for people who have psychotic episodes it's really only used when other things don't work but it's really designed to help process trauma grief and access worries thoughts and feelings that a person hides behind their sort of defenses 
as well as you probably know only a certain amount of people actually can be affected by hypnosis as well. Like it's like, I don't know, 10% or something who can actually be put under that trance state in order for it to work. So the reason why it's not recommended for psychosis is because they may be more susceptible to suggestion, um, which can be not so good um, <laughs> because there's a there's a history of um, hypnosis creating some false memories. Uh, that's another big deep dive for another episode, but listen to... Um, Oh, listen to your wrong about on um, the satanic panic and R- Michelle remembers this, like a lot of really fucked up history of false memories being developed through hypnosis. Right. So it depends on how the therapist does it, if they're using leading questions and stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's not a commonly used tool for, for schizophrenia. Um, but I think the therapist, Dr. Thurman, uses hypnosis to try and figure out, like, what he's going to do because yeah. she's seeing some worries and putting him under is to kind of ask questions like, what's going to happen? Are you going to do something to hurt yourself or other people? What are your thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts. Mm. Like, just on what you were just saying then, I feel like you failed to create a therapeutic relationship with somebody if you need to hypnotise them to feel that you're getting the truth from them. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Thurman. <laughs> Watch out, psychologists, if you use hypnosis to figure shit out. Michael's going to catch you. But just I, you know. She's, she's had a long relationship with him. That's just my take on it, though. Yeah. Um, but no, I wanted to say I'm really glad that you've done this research on hypnosis because doing this podcast, I'm realizing how much these movies rely on hypnosis. So many. Um, and I not think the Sopranos. No, yeah, <laughs> no. But um, well, I think that hypnosis is um, kind of seen by the filmmakers as a way of. I don't know if, if you guys remember when we were doing Sopranos and I kind of said that um, his sessions with Dr. Melfi were like in Westworld when they put the androids <laughs> into diagnostic mode sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we all remember that, Michael. <laughs> I think that hypnosis is kind of like that where it's just a way for the writer to be like, right, I can turn off all my characters' defence mechanisms and this is a really easy way for me to just directly put on the page this is what my character thinks. Mm. Um, and also how he's feeling too because, like, he's very stoic throughout the movie. He's very flat. And then it's really only a couple of times in the movie and one, is, one of them is during hypnosis that he gets quite distressed. And he kind of regresses to, yeah. like, to use a Freudian sort of term. Mm. Um, he's very childlike. Yeah, and, like, huddled over and, and in fear. Mm. And, like, that's... That's the, I guess, the purpose of hypnosis is to to bring up that vulnerable state. But yeah, you're right. It's a bit of a a lazy way to get that happening in film. Yeah, a bad reading of it is that it's lazy. I think if used if used appropriately, like go for it. Uh, I don't think it's likely that 
and he would just start masturbating though during hypnosis. <laughs> it's pretty funny though. From what I from what I read, you are in control of your body. You're just kind of in it like that that silly state when you when you start to wake up and you're like you know you're awake and you know you're in your your bed but you're not quite awake yet. Mm. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I'd love to, you know, hit me up, psychologist, if that has happened in your hypnosis session. <laughs> I guess lastly, to, when we're looking at accuracies, that the therapist's style as well in relationship with Donnie. As I said, like it sounds like Dr. Thurman and Donnie have a pretty well-established relationship. Like he, he trusts her to tell her about the philosophy of time travel book and the delusions he's having. I did say when we were watching it, like, she's a bit cold, isn't she? Like she's like, he was like, I made a new friend today. She's like, real or imaginary? Like, like she's kind of bored by it a little bit sometimes but you didn't think feel that way no no I didn't I thought that she was I, I, I liked the way she asked that um it's very like impartial non-judgmental true, just true, objective true. straight to the facts and I also think that she and Donnie I think they have a sort of like um, I think I think she sees him as a peer more than as a patient. She works and, with him, not yeah, like, as an authority figure. Yeah, and and I think authority figure. Yeah, and um, you know, to to her credit, she's taken the right approach to talking to somebody like Donnie, because yeah, she kind of goes with him on this sort of um, philosophical interrogation of like god and that's true what would happen if the world ended and stuff like that and i think we should talk a bit about whether it's how you if you talk to somebody with delusions like how much do you agree with them that the delusion is real and how much do you pull them back and say no that's not actually true and it's my job to tell you it's not true do you know what i mean like she plays along she acts like frank is real she acts like the world's that there's a possibility that the world is going to end. Is that helping Donnie, or is it harmful to just? F- some might say it just fuels his the fire. I don't think I don't think she feels it, and I guess you're. It's a really delicate balance because you want to be you want to develop a, a solid rapport with that person in order to have that therapeutic relationship, which means being on their side, which means validating what's going on for them but you're right in that you don't want it to fuel the delusion as well but I think she does that quite gently in challenging Donnie throughout the the movie of do you think the world is going to end and he's like no that's stupid um I mean that's almost like a reason why she would go to hypnotherapy because he's obviously like or the way that I read that line is that that's a defence, like he's yeah. lying to her. He doesn't feel that way. But he's also saying to her, like, cognitively, I know that's not going to happen. Mm. It happens in the movie. But anyway, <laughs> but also, like, you know, she asks, you know, how is time travel possible? I think he's under hypnosis at that point, though. I'm not sure. She she challenges by going, you know, is this in line with reality? And I, I think that's what I try and do. I, I haven't worked with people with psychosis, unfortunately, but with some irrational beliefs, like gently challenging, like when you, you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then does that actually make sense? Mm. Um, And then it's getting the 
the person to realise for themselves, no, that doesn't make sense or, you know, whatever. The, the, the ultimate aim of psychology is to trick people into thinking the way you want you them want to. You want them to think. That's what <laughs> to CBT make them, is, make them yeah. think that they did it themselves. It must be much harder with someone who's more deep in their delusions and are more likely to be causing harm to themselves. So then it's really making that call, like, am I actually going to cause more harm by by challenging and saying, no, this is not true, or am I going to cause more harm by going into their world, less harm by going into their world and going, okay, well, if this is what you feel is happening, then here's some strategies <laughs> to yeah. deal with that. <laughs> here's a worksheet I want you to do. <laughs> How do I save the world? Yeah. But there's that scene when he's really distressed under hypnosis and he says, the sky's going to open up. And I always think about this line. She goes, if the sky were to open up, there would be no law, there would be no logic, there would just be you and him, the people you've touched. And I think she says something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a weird response. Like I always thought it was a weird response because it sounds like she's saying, you know, if the sky were to open up, then all logic goes out the window, which makes sense. But it's not, she's not saying it's not going to happen. She's just saying this is what it would be like. So she's not really dismissing his fears. She's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, like, I don't know what she's trying to do, but it's also kind of reassuring the way she says it to him. She doesn't say, no, that's stupid to him. You're going to be fine. Yeah. What do you think about? I did a little bit of reading yeah. about this okay. and I don't understand it, but I read <laughs> a Lacanian psychoanalytic reading of the book, okay. uh, of the movie rather, and um, there's this theory that like the real world as we perceive it is the quote-unquote symbolic and people who are having a psychotic episode are stepping towards the real. Okay. Um, which I gather is not meaning, you know, we live in a simulation. I think it's just the words that Lacan used. Okay. Yeah, so Donnie is, like, close to the real. <laughs> I wish I didn't start trying to explain this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think what she's getting at, if I'm if I'm interpreting this paper correctly... She's she's basically saying to him, like, if you go fully into your delusion and the world does end, she's saying Frank is you. Frank's not external to you. Frank and mm. you are, are one, which uh-huh. kind of, it ends, that ends up, he kind of sees that in the end of the movie. Yeah. And if your delusion goes to its conclusion, that's what it would be like. But how so is that? that, that no, that didn't help. But if that's what she's saying, like, I don't think that's necessarily helpful for him. No, it's... Because he knows, like, that's what happens. It's extremely, like, metaphysical and probably beyond the realm of a psychiatrist. Mm. But then I often think that he... he and, and I haven't thought about... I haven't thought this through properly, but they make a big deal about the picture on her wall the the woman made up of text sort of oh yeah and i wonder if that's some symbol some comment i don't know (laughs) fuck you 
I'm sure there's someone out there yeah, who's still in the cult comment. of Donnie Darko that yeah. can help us out, please. Well, I wanted to ask. Yes. Um, what do you think of the hug then? Would you ever hug a patient, a client? I will. I only hug a patient if they want to hug from me, um, and if I think it's appropriate. Yeah. Like I've, and it's pretty much only been when we've we're finishing up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're ending therapy. Okay. And they'll ask for a hug. <laughs> that's yeah. the only time. Okay, that seems fair. Would you have hugged Donnie in that situation? Well, he, I don't know, I probably, well, he kind of went to hug her. So I probably yeah. wouldn't have resisted. Oh, yeah, she's, she's sort of shocked by it, isn't she? Yeah. He kind of throws himself on her and she's sort of. Yeah, like he's in that childlike state and that childlike state probably needed comfort. Um, I think it was probably appropriate in the movie Mm. and if that was in real life. Um, But also the whole thing was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Would you you whip up a client's delusions to the point where they're they're (laughs) in the fetal position? Yeah. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) It's good film. Good film. I just want to also just quickly touch on the parent session as well because um, she says a lot in that session, which leads her to the diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia as well. Mm. So she says that his aggressive behaviour and increased detachment from reality is a way to cope with the forces in the world he perceives to be threatening. Um, And she describes his hallucinations with Frank as as a daylight hallucination. Can I just jump in about daylight hallucination? I Google searched, quote, daylight hallucination, and all I came up with was, like, hits on SoundCloud and stuff. So it's not. <laughs> so it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Yeah. I, you know what? I always thought it was a thing just because of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Like, if you type in daylight hallucination, the autofill comes up first with Donnie Darko. <laughs> Not like DSM, Freud. Oh, my whatever. gosh. Yeah. I bet I'm not the only one who doesn't work with schizophrenia that didn't realise that wasn't <laughs> a thing. Um, like I feel like that description is like probably a description I would make if I was a psychologist treating this this patient, apart from daylight hallucination. <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't just suggest more hypnotherapy and more medication. Why does she suggest to increase the medication if they're placebos or... To is, maybe to reassure the parents yeah. that she's doing something. Yeah. Um, but I just love the parents in that scene. I wish every parent that I consulted with were like them. Yeah. <laughs> because they just want the best for their son. They're obviously quite upset about what she's saying and confused, but they're just nodding and going, yep, whatever you think, if you think. Like, obviously, this is distressing for us, but if that's what you think, then, of course, we're going to say yes. They just seem very cooperative and, you know, suitably concerned about him, but also not wanting to, um, you know, be over-controlling as well. It's interesting um, in a movie that's, like, asking the question of, like, how should we treat our people who see the world differently from us? and seems to be suggesting that medication might not necessarily be the answer. Mm. It's interesting that um, the quote-unquote cooperative parents, like, you, you see that as a good thing. Oh, like because, in R- because they Kelly, want him to have more medication. Yeah, like Richard yeah. Kelly's worldview, 
maybe I, I have no idea, but maybe that you know the cooperative patient who takes the medication as they're told. That's a you know a symptom of a sick society. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look at the philosophy of time travel, they're supposed to be like manipulated living, which are supposed to come in between Donnie and try and stop him from achieving his goal, which would be getting him to go on medication mm. or more medication. So right. it also fits in with his philosophy. So you were absolutely right. Mm. Oh, and just one last thing. <laughs> Very prosaic point to finish off. <laughs> Your psychologist should not be your emergency contact. <laughs> when they, when his family are out of town, they get get him to call Doctor Thurman if he needs anything. If if as as cooperative parents they as they are, if if parents asked me to be an emergency contact for their kid when they went away, I'd be like, oh no, <laughs> I'm I'm a therapist. I'm not your babysitter or you know doctor. Yeah. Um, but it's weird, though. She does contact them, but she knows they're away. Mm. And she leaves a message on their answering machine when she's very concerned for Donnie, rightfully concerned for Donnie, thinks something bad's going to happen. So he calls them. but So she calls them, but she knows that they're away because she's the emergency contact. Yeah. So that's weird. Continuity error. <laughs> Maybe there's no mobile phones. Yeah, but she should have called the police if she was that worried. Yeah, she should have escalated. Yeah. And she shouldn't have used hypnotherapy. <sighs> All right. So accuracy, there's some there's some pretty good stuff in there, but some issues too, I'd say. I think it's accurate for the film. For the film. Yeah. So our next question is, are there problems with stereotypes? You know, when I think schizophrenia and stereotypes, I think of, like, people in straight jackets that have come loose and they're, like, raving down the streets, like, foaming at the mouth and, you know, doing... Thanks for being honest about that. <laughs> no, like, stereotypes, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. harmful stereotypes. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything like that in this movie, really. Yeah. I think there are issues, but nothing that I would call, necess- like, a straight-up stereotype. Say, the way the multiple personality disorder lady was in Ratchet. Mm, I would agree with that. Mm. I think there was one big stereotype that maybe was created by this film. I'm not sure. But it's the moody, deep, messed up, hot <laughs> teenage boy, which I was all for. <laughs> there was definitely a spate that started with Donnie Darko, like Thumbsucker. Thumbsucker, I was just going to say that. Brick. Brick. Chum Scrubber. Chum Scrubber. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, you know, in Little Miss Sunshine, Paul Dano's character. Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit different type of movie, but it was everywhere. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Maybe, like, Harold and Maud might have been the original. Yeah, yeah, actually. There's probably earlier ones, but. Bud Court did not age well, though. (laughs) That's what we're looking to. (laughs) But, yeah, it was, like, I mean, it, I think this is common in every era in the history of time when you're a teenager, you're, you're sort of that you know, between, I don't know, 13 to 18 when you're just just being moody is is, is attractive and being, like, my life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I 
I hate just myself. Have tragedy, tragedy in your blood. <laughs> well, she did, but um, just being really introspective and like people are awful. I remember mm. like in grade like nine, being like people are the problem with the world. <laughs> you know, like I'm so deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just hate everybody. So yeah, I think this movie, the Donnie Darko, was that person. Yeah. So the problem is stereotypes of adolescence. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess in John Hughes movies there were there were those types of people too. Yeah. True. I guess it's a stereotype, but uh, I'm 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 jumping the gun slightly in terms of helpful or harmful depictions. But man, like when I was that moody kid. It was really helpful for me to see mm. see that. I don't know. It just felt yeah, like no. the movie got me. Yeah. Even though it like totally, yeah, it's <laughs> Even totally laughable now. <laughs> um, but you know, I sort of thought if I was if I was a girl in the film, I'd be Gina Maloney. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd sit next to the boy. I think is the cutest. <laughs> yeah. So oh, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast <laughs> worth. Um, but actually, you know, when you think about it, if you took out the hallucinations and beliefs, he's just a normal teenage boy. Yeah. The, the way he acts. And really, yeah. We should talk about um, the violence in the movie. Yes. Um, this is a stereotype that comes up time and time again time with mental time. illness, mm-hmm. back since episode one, Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, people with schizophrenia are more likely to be victims, victims. not perpetrators, not perpetrators of yes. violence. That is 100% true. Um, and I guess it, it doesn't, I don't think it glorifies the violence in the film at all. No. But he's got that bad reputation of being the violent boy and the stuff in his past and obviously during the movie, the, the things he does. It, could, it It is a pretty major, could be a bit harmful. Yeah. Um, but I think it also, two things. So, like, first of all, we never get a clear idea of what happened in the past yeah. with the burning the house or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, it was an abandoned house. And, and, you know, after watching the movie, it makes you wonder, like, maybe was something like this happening in his head at that point? Like, did he think he needed to do that for some reason? Yeah. Was he conjuring fire as per the um, well, that philosophy was, of time? That was the primary universe then. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, <laughs> but, like, yeah. Um, there's that. Uh, and But the second thing uh, is he's got these really, really intense delusions and if anybody believed what Donnie believes, they would be inclined to do extreme things. Yeah. So, like, his violence is kind of proportional to what he's experiencing. And, you know, there are people with schizophrenia who will attack their loved ones because of command hallucinations, delusions that they're, they're some, they've been replaced by imposters or, mm. or whatever. So, like, yes, it's a stereotype that needs to be killed that people with schizophrenia are violent. But... If we want to have a more nuanced, complex, neither fear or love type <laughs> view of the situation, false dichotomy, um, then you know I think it's 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 not that harmful that we see Donnie's 
illness lead him to violence. Yeah. Firstly, because he's so distressed by what he's experiencing. Um, and secondly, because it's a thing that happens in the real world that yeah. your symptoms will prompt you to violence. And maybe it's actually helpful because it sort of explains why the violence happens. Yeah. Like he's told to do these things and he's told because of a end goal that if he does these things, this good stuff will happen. Mm. Like um, Jim Cunningham's exposed as a pedophile, which is definitely a good outcome that they find that out. So it's, yeah. No, it, like maybe it's trying to say that, you know, maybe violent, it's not a dichotomy of violence isn't black and white and, and just bad. Yeah. Um, the, 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 Ling taking the wallet in the theatre. Yes. You, you can't you just, can't lump, just lump things, things into two, two categories. It's stupid. It doesn't work like that. Um, <laughs> but Steph, also, you just have to complete the exercise or else you get an F for the day. I get an F for the podcast. Um, but I also think it, it, and maybe this is what Richard Kelly's trying to say too, it's not violence equal bad equal punish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's how dumb people say when they say those things. Uh, it's, you know, what what do we need to to do to help Donnie and, and stop the violence? him from doing these things it's not really about the violence it's about the stuff underlying it mm. it's about making that person feel safe and not stigmatizing them as a violent person yeah but i think that's where the movie kind of departs from our conversation where Absolutely. like in the movie <laughs> that stuff was going to happen no matter what he needed to shoot frank for example <laughs> yeah no yeah kind of but like the the way you say that makes it sound like maybe if he had a better psychologist he, he wouldn't have done that stuff. Um, but I think that the... I'm not saying that. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. We're not... Psychologists aren't... It's not our <laughs> okay. full responsibility no, 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 to stop no. someone from no, being violent. Sorry, that's not what I mean. I mean, like, if somebody was there with him, like, oh, is Frank here now? What would you say to Frank? Like, like no, there's no talk therapy or medication that can stop Donnie from progressing through yeah. Frank's plan. Yeah. Yeah. Europe's... Yeah. And that's why the film is about time travel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another trope that comes up is schizophrenia and like high IQ. Mm. Um, and in the movie, it's clear that everyone thinks Donnie's super smart. Why'd you have to get so smart on us, Donnie? Um, he really understands the Smurf the universe, Smurfs universe and all its lore. So yeah, there is a bit of a stereotype that high. Um, IQ is, is a common theme amongst people with schizophrenia, but that's not actually necessarily the case. There is a subset of high IQ, but there's also a large proportion with a, a lower than average IQ too. Yeah. And like some common cognitive issues with people with schizophrenia can be short-term memory, um, you know, verbal comprehension, things like that. So it's a little bit of a, it could be a bit of a problem for people who have schizophrenia, who watch this film, who don't have high IQ, to be like, oh, he's seen as a superhero, whereas I'm just a regular Joe mm. with my normal brain, like normal intelligence. When it comes to, well, we call them like the low prevalence disorders. So schizophrenia, only 1% of the population has yeah. it. It's a low prevalence. Um, bipolar is another one. 
Um, and they're also kind of referred to as this quote unquote severe mental illnesses, which mm-hmm. I think is stupid because depression can be just as absolutely devastating yeah. as Same schizophrenia. With anyway, anxiety. Yeah. Um, but so there's there's evidence about how like most of these can these, the severe mental illnesses come with cognitive dysfunction mm-hmm. and and social and occupational dysfunction. Um, so. Uh, I can't really commit to a statement about like whether the majority of people with say schizophrenia and bipolar uh, have lower IQ, um, but there's there's definitely research on it, um, and it's definitely a feature of some people's mm-hmm. schizophrenia that they ha- are of lower intel lower IQ. Um, but I mean, interestingly, I'm just throwing out th- this out there with bipolar. There's kind of two cohorts one with lower IQ and one with higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, people with bipolar, there's, yeah, there's a cohort that tends to be uh, of higher functioning than average. Okay. Um, so Donnie, I don't know if the same thing comes out in schizophrenia, but maybe Donnie is a, you know, quote unquote higher functioning. Mm. Um, and, uh, but anyway, that's, that's boring systematic review <laughs> stuff. Um, what I think is interesting is how people do conflate mental illness with lots of good qualities like intelligence and mm. also like creativity mm. where like creativity seems to be viewed as either on a spectrum with psychosis or as sort of a companion of psychosis, mm-hmm. like name one genius that ain't crazy Kanye West. <laughs> That's a Kanye quote, everybody. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't know, is that helpful? Is it harmful? Um, well, I would say that just like we said with Rain Man, um, you know, people with savant skills, it can sort of almost fetishise uh, mental illnesses such as schizophrenia in like you've got value you're quirky and strange and you do cool things mm. and, wow, schizophrenia is cool. No, it's not. Um, or, you know, you've only got value um, if you have high intelligence. Mm. But if you don't, then you don't have any value. Yeah, yeah, so it's sort of harmful to the, the um, yeah, the normal the types. Um, I did an ethics subject this year and somebody wrote a paper about... Um, you know, the link between mental illness and creativity and whether that meant that there was an an ethical um, obligation for us to not treat creative people's mental illness. Ooh. And it, like, it made me think <laughs> of, like, I don't know, listeners, if you've seen The Devil and Daniel Johnston, mm. um, but Daniel Johnston had really bad bipolar that caused him, for instance, to crash a plane that his dad was piloting and nearly kill both of them. Fortunately, they both survived. Um, but at one point in the documentary when he's medicated, he expresses to the camera, I, I couldn't write a song if I tried right now. Mm. Um, and Daniel Johnston's music has brought joy to a lot of people's lives. A lot of people don't like his music. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, what are the, what's the ethics of giving somebody a medication that stops them from... stifles their creativity. Yeah, doing something that brings people joy. Um, I guess... Is that relevant? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I think it is because that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. Well, to, to bring it back to Donnie Darko, it's like if you met somebody on the street who has schizophrenia, you're going to be like, oh, 
you're like Donnie Darko. Are you, like, going to make the world better for me and shit? Like, are you going to save the world and kill the bad guys and sacrifice yourself for us? It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think this movie, uh, like, with Rain Man, yeah, I definitely see that Um, because Rain Man, in a weird kind of way, introduced the world to autism, whereas this movie is so fantastical. I, I don't. In, to my mind, I don't think it's going to lead people to believe certain things about schizophrenia. You say that, but, you know, we watched this movie at an impressionable age. You younger than me. Because I'm older than Michael, everyone. <laughs> um, and you probably didn't know much about schizophrenia back then. No, and, and I didn't watch the movie with a... Like, when she says that he's got schizophrenia, I was like, oh, like, he's very crazy. <laughs> like, I didn't see it as putting a label on him. That's... I just thought, it, no, actually, I, it was just putting a label on his experience, which I didn't think was a defined clinical entity that um, spoke to the experiences of 1% of the population of the world. But you're not everybody. <laughs> well, but, no, the movie doesn't, I, I think I might have seen it that way if I saw it for the first time and I was older. Mm-hmm. Because I now have more awareness of like what movies can do to populations. There's some things in the movie that I reckon sort of flip the stereotypes on their heads a little bit. And one of the things is that the people who the community loves and are seen as like, you know, good law abiding, great citizens are actually in the movie like seen quite negatively. Like, Miss Farmer, the teacher, the dance troupe, Sparkle Motion, Jim Cunningham, they've all got like a sinister background to them and they're seen as like the the bad guys really. Um, and then Donnie who's flawed and got all this crazy shit happening in his world and is, you know, um, seen as a destructive sort of force, he's the hero. And all throughout the movie there's that sense of destroying something to make something beautiful or like they, they talk about the destructors, the Graham Greene novel and how they, they burn the house just to see what it would look like. Um, and that being sort of celebrated in the movie, like creation is being a form of destruction is something else they said. So it actually being mental illness could be seen as something that can be destructive, but also beautiful because of the creativity that comes out of it, for example. Maybe that's a comment that you could interpret from the film, Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. One of the things that I read about was that um, it's sort of the rare case of a movie that doesn't place the mental illness as um, something that needs to be overcome. Mm. Um, Really, Donnie's power as a, a, you know, you can argue that he is a superhero, um, his superpowers come from embracing his psychosis. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, he sees it through rather than tries to stop it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an unusual film in that respect. Yeah. I can't really think of. And like you say, it opens up like it's a typical 80s sort of teenage movie, a little bit apart from the fact that he's clearly woken up and doesn't know where he is. Um, but it's not that at all. Like it mm. sort of flips that... Um, nostalgic suburban life of the 80s on its head a little bit. Mm. And another thing I love that 
is an opposite stereotype of what I'm used to with films about mental illness is that Donnie's family are actually really sweet and loving, um, not perfect, but they're just trying to understand and care about him rather than um, they, they don't want to give up on him. Um, his mum just, you can see how frustrated and upset she gets, but she just also still loves him so unconditionally mm. um it's not it's not done in a in a silly way it's like a, quite a realistic way it's not on the nose no <laughs> what's the opposite of on the nose off the nose <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it is a really great portrayal of it um i love the dad like mm-hmm. i love the way he bursts out laughing when he when he hears what donnie said to um <laughs> what to the teacher and, um yeah no you're right. It's yeah. not. There's no. Um, yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. And I just just that that line towards the end where she goes, where Donnie says, "How does it feel having a wacko for a son?" And she says, "It feels wonderful." Like, oh, I'm starting to get a bit emotional just thinking about it. Yeah. Like, now that we're parents too, just knowing that you know whatever you do or don't do, you're just the love of my life anyway. You yeah. know. Mm. It's just that unconditional love is amazing. Yeah. Good on you, Richard. <laughs> so we've touched on this a little bit already, but let's look at whether things in the movie are helpful or harmful. Yeah. Firstly, let's look at the helpful stuff. You were mentioning that, you know, he's seen as a superhero, so it's a bit of a positive view of mental illness. Yeah, but I also find that hard to really, like, see through all the way because... He <laughs> he dies. He dies. Yeah, <laughs> but he saves and everybody's life. And all this, all this really shitty stuff happens. Mm. And maybe it would have been better if there was a drug that he could have taken to have stopped but then what he went through. Times. But yeah, no, uh, it's um, like I was saying before. I think it's helpful that it it's he's gotten a mental illness, but it's it's the time travel issues that's the problem. Mm. The mental illness is sort of secondary or just like it's seen as a strength it's a strength-based movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) very nice um i like that he develops a relationship and it's quite a a nice relationship in the movie Mm. she's got her own shit too but she's there for donnie's shit and she seems like she's a fairly like calming grounding presence like when she's like i remember hating that bit when she goes are you okay (laughs) Stop! But he needed that. Mm. Mm. You know, it's it's saying that mental illness, people with mental illnesses, can be loved. Yeah, they can have fine relationships. Mm. Yeah, at least for a short time. <laughs> Until, <laughs> Until the tangent universe collapses. Is corrected. Yeah. There's a big, a very important part of the film, which is that emotion cannot be lumped into just two categories. Um, you know, people are complex. Emotions are complex. There's a lot going on and and the world wants it to be black and white, but life is not black and white. Mm. Um, But I do suggest that if you did look at the film that way, um, he needed to choose love to save the world, but he was, the thing that was stopping him was the fear because he was quite afraid of what was going on for him. So you need to overcome that fear, choose love. Yeah. So it is kind of the dichotomy. Yeah, but him restoring the original universe, I don't know the terminology, 
means that Jim Cunningham's kiddie porn ring isn't going to be discovered. Except. So there's good and bad. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, go on. Well, you know that bit when at the end um, everyone w- wakes up mm. and and they play Mad World? Mm. Great, great choice of song. It <laughs> <laughs> just really highlights the struggles that Donnie goes through. Um, and... You see him crying in his yeah. room. That's like that's when the original universe has come back, um, or gone back to the beginning, and that's supposed to signify him just like not being able to live with himself anymore and turning himself in. I don't think. <laughs> I, I think he's feeling guilt for what he's doing, but I don't think that means he's going to stop. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. <laughs> that's just what I read. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I thought those scenes were meant to represent like the residual feeling that these people have on some level experienced the tangent universe, even though technically they haven't, mm-hmm. which explains the wave and that's, that stuff at the end between Gretchen and the mum. That's what's supposed to be, yeah. Mm. But I reckon he's still going to be operating that kitty porn ring in the original <laughs> universe. Um, on that note, though, as a harmful thing, it, it can kind of, that scene in itself can maybe glorify, if you looked at it from a mental illness lens, I look at the end, if, if, if it wasn't all real, I look at Donnie suiciding mm. as the end outcome. And if we looked at it that way, that scene could be seen as a little bit like glorifying suicide because all these people are kind of touched, even though you're dead, by you, by you. Well, I don't know. Yeah, that, I mean that's what the view. But the people think that he's been squished by a jet engine. So no, no, they they don't know what they don't know what's happened to them. Yeah. So the thing about time travel out <laughs> of <laughs> this book called the philosophy of time travel. Just come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I see what you're saying. It reinforces a message of sometimes people think that the world will be better off without them, and kind of and they'll be remembered in this really heroic way. Yeah. Could be harmful. Yeah. Um, but back to helpful stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, loving the parents being supportive and I guess the message that it's not a curse, even though it obviously ends really badly, but, like, they don't feel like it's a curse to have a son with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they just, they're very involved together in his treatment and that's a positive message. I think also, like, it's kind of a positive thing, that comment on, that self-help guru actually being full of shit and a pedophile. It's, it's, it's a helpful comment on the uselessness of self-help crap and wellness instead of actually evidence-based well-researched therapy. Mm. And that's just my take on that. (laughs) Um, I think everybody's on board with that already. (laughs) Uh, Also therapists like aren't useless mostly. Like she does, I think she does a fairly okay job at the talk therapy stuff, but also makes some stupid decisions with medication, etc. Yeah. I think we're going to struggle to find a movie that has a good therapist in it that actually, like, solves the character's problems because I don't think viewers are going to want to see that. No, you're right. That's not good TV. No. Like Dr. Melfi, like, take this anti-sociopathy drug. Tony. Thanks, I feel better. <laughs> I feel better now. I'm <laughs> yeah. going into waste management for real now. <laughs> Actually, what I think this movie really, I don't know if it meant to, but it kind of makes death anxiety. Like, uh, I have a lot of death anxiety. 
I'm absolutely afraid of dying. <laughs> um, and I think what the movie does sort of send a message of wish we, we it makes sense to be afraid of dying, but we don't need to be so afraid of dying. Um, you know, there's that quote at the end that he sends to Roberta, Roberta Sparrow. When the end of the world comes, I'll breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to. And then at the end, when just as he gets back to his bed, he's laughing hysterically. So you can see he's like, ah, he's relieved, he's happy, and he like he knows he's going to die. And that just like comfort in knowing that, I don't know, it's just helpful for me, <laughs> even mm. though it's a completely different world. Um, you know, it, it's like we don't need to be scared of dying. That's, I don't know how to, I can't contribute to that. It's beyond my remit as a film student slash medical student. I'm real deep. (laughs) Last couple of harmful things we touched on a bit, like the violence. Mm. Um, Also medication being seen as useless. Yeah, sometimes uh, so many movies are anti-medication, particularly for mental health, but... Or even saying that, you know, when once he starts taking it and the, the, the hallucinations happen, is it trying to say the medication actually makes things worse? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just got to take the medication. It's, it's good stuff sometimes. There's, there's, there's legitimate concerns. There's a lot of medication that we don't actually know, understand how they work. We just know that they do work. Mm. Um, but, you know... If you're on medication and it's working, that's good. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. Also, the movie's a bit racist <laughs> and misogynistic. Yeah. I think it... So you're referring to Charita and Go Back to China. Yes. And Smurfette. Yeah. Wanting to fuck Smurfette. Just and to all fuck that all stuff. the other guys. I, I kind of think that... Um, the the whole movie is like, you know, Donnie Darko is the viewer, like an idealised version of the viewer, you know, like um, we want to see ourselves as Donnie, like being the guy who can, or, or, you know, we want to see ourselves as the person who can talk to Jim Cunningham and call him the fucking Antichrist and shit mm. like that. Um, and I think that the, the people around him are kind of um, sort of two-dimensional yeah. In a way, like, they're just they meant to are. represent certain things in the world. Um, and, like, those two things with Charita and Smurfette, like, that's just, he's just surrounded by shit friends. Like, he's got douchebag friends. And I think that's part of being a teenager is you end up with a, a few shitty friends and people change and they get into things that you're not necessarily into and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I don't see that as the movie making racist or misogynistic you know, expressing those views. I think no. it's just saying, look at these people he's surrounded by. Um, they're no good. And he, you know, like, he's nice to treat her in the end and she's one of the few people that he's he seems to really want to make the world better for. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm. I just... And he, you know, he gives he gives a feminist reinterpretation of Smurfette. Because, yeah. that, because she doesn't have a, <laughs> a reproductive organ? <laughs> I don't know. No, you, you make a very good point. Um, I'm, and I wasn't saying that necessarily Richard Kelly is a misogynistic, racist person, but, you know, it would be... You, I think you can achieve the same thing, as you say, without 
using a very racial stereotype, for example. The Smurfette thing, like, oh, I'm sure every uh, heterosexual male has had a similar conversation at that age. So, mm. but, yeah, doesn't make it good. You're just a wowser and you want to sanitise the movie so that it only expresses your worldview. Yes, please. <laughs> also, what you could surmise, maybe, from the movie is if the delusions end up being accurate, the, the message from could be that you should do what voices tell you um, because you might be able to save the world. Yeah. And for people with schizophrenia, that might not be the best message. Yeah, um, that is potentially harmful. Um... <laughs> Do you have something to actually say? No, no, I do. I've thought about this a lot in the lead up to this, but now that I'm actually here, I'm, I'm choking. I can't. <laughs> I can't. No, um, I, think, uh, I think it's in a way time, coming back to that superhero idea where it's almost like the message is don't, don't force yourself to um, assimilate into an essentially fucked society, like, you know, Donnie, you shouldn't have to act like your mates who are racist to Charita mm. and, and talk grossly about Smurfette. Um, you're, you're different, lean into it, and good shit will happen. Mm. And leaning into being a bit weird isn't a bad message. No. But <laughs> I'm being very... Uh, ra- you know, logical black and white right now. If you have schizophrenia and you're seeing hearing voices, um, it might not be a good message that to lean into those voices if they're telling you awful things and to do awful things. Yeah. It just makes me think that Richard Kelly didn't know anything about schizophrenia before he made this movie. That is absolutely <laughs> how it makes me feel too. Yeah. And then last, uh, another word that comes up a lot is like doomed, Donnie was doomed, mm. um, and that message that schizophrenia dooms you is an awful message. Yeah, especially in light of the film sort of discussion about fate and whether everything is preordained or yeah. we actually have free will because it makes it sound like, yeah, like his lo- timeline was leading to suicide and mm. getting schizophrenia was probably the... the the thing that yeah. led to that and you, you don't want to be putting out that message and again i don't think richard kelly is intending that at all no. but when you look at those statistics as well like mm. it can be a really pretty awful picture and to be promoting that message is not good no i agree yeah. can i just add a, a harm sure. please um yeah i think the the biggest harm of the movie and maybe you need to get an epidemiologist on to confirm this. But I think that the soundtrack to this movie probably triggered a a pandemic (laughs) of teenage depression (laughs) (laughs) because fucking Mad World and, like, Echo and the Bunny Men, (laughs) fucking Joy Division. Um, Yeah, that was the soundtrack of my, like, miserable... Teen years, like I would put, I would put Mad World on just to cry. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah, Yeah, it was one of a handful of songs I had, like at my the lowest, most angsty point of my teen years. 
that I would oh, put on for that reason. But so not not notorious. Would you cry about that one? <laughs> I just cry about the uh, sexualization of those young girls. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. That cover of Mad World was very good, but I now I choose the original every time. Of course you do. All right, so. Mm, this is an interesting one to score. What are we going to do? So lived experience. Zero. It's, it's a good movie, but you've you got to give it zero pretty yeah, much. got to. Maybe a little bit of a point for Drew Barrymore. Accuracy, I'd give it a point. Yeah, I'll give yeah. it a point. Uh, stereotypes, uh, it I, kind of I, balances out a little bit because there's some bad, yeah, there's some pretty bad stereotypes. Honestly, I don't. I don't think the stereotypes are that harmful. Okay. And I'm gonna say no stereotypes. With your well, with your privilege checked. Yes. I'm sorry, everybody. I think there's some stereotype problems. And helpful or harmful? It's it's. A, I'm on the fence because there's some helpful stuff. There really is. But there's also some harmful stuff. But generally, I think it maybe errs on more helpful than harmful. Yeah. And. It's like it's a movie with mental health in it, but it's not really a mental health movie. You know, it's no. not Rain Man. But I think, like, considering the stereotypes and stuff, I would say it's somewhat helpful. Somewhat. I think I only give it if we changed our score to out of four <laughs> rather mm. than five because five makes no sense. Uh, I'd still only give it, like, two out of four. I'm giving it three. Thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> That's my uh, Margaret impression. I'm not going to be able to continue this podcast. Why is that? I could lose my job. As podcaster? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Psycho Cinematic. Um, if you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe. Please follow us on Instagram at Psycho Cinematic Podcast. And you can email us as well at Psycho Cinematic podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next time take care thanks everyone bye, bye.